Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I am Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Oh, hello. How are you, everybody? It's great to meet you all. Wow, you're so formal. polite and yeah. formal today. Yeah. yeah. It's a new me, Mike. Okay. Yeah, it's a new S- me. See how long that lasts. It's already done. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque. Grab yourself a double-double and a Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Oh, chomp, chomp. You did? The, uh, yeah, I'm saying, yeah, I think it How was did yesterday. that? You usually have the steep tea there. That's all I drink there, steep teas. I love their steep teas. Hmm. The coffee's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> so we're going to Florida, speaking of Tim Hortons. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> I know it's a weird segue. <laughs> a fucking bizarre say. Whoop, whoop, Florida. Yep, and uh, we will be there for CrimeCon on May 1st till the 3rd. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm stoked. So use Poutine 2020 for 10% off your CrimeCon tickets. Yeah, please do it. Please, please do it. It helps us out. That's right. 10% off. 10% off. And if enough of you buy it, we won't have to pay the thousand bucks for our room. <laughs> Which we would really... well, that's, that's one room, and we're getting two. We'd really appreciate that. You you, you all did it for us last uh, last time. We believe in you. Also, the Umber Yard is growing with leaps and bounds. Well, that's what happens when we mention it at the beginning of <laughs> beginning of the show. <laughs> of the show. So come on to our Facebook group, uh, approaching seven thousand members now. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Wow. Remember, douche canoes get booted. Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you like to fight, like to pick fights with people. Don't come to the Umber. You'll have a very short... uh, Your visit won't be long. It won't be long. Yeah, it'll be like, oh, look, I got fired from the Umber Yard. Yeah. Yeah. We'll unhire you. Exactly. Also, we will be at Fan Expo Vancouver for doing a live show at 1245 on Sunday, February 16th. That is 
2020 as well. So it's going to be quite, is it be a different crowd than the last one we went to? I think so. And it may not be as many. It, yeah, because it's not, <laughs> so well, it, I it, mean, hell, all of you. It might be your opportunity to actually get some time with us. <laughs> it, I mean, yeah, if you went to the, to the uh, live one that we, our first one, I mean, you can, you know, you can just you know, run down. Yeah, exactly. Come, come on down. Come on down and we'll, uh, you know, and wrangle some, some miscellaneous people there, grab them and drag them over to watch. There you listen. go. Yeah. Well, let's get to our show. Okay. This is episode 108, Carol King from Missing to Murdered. Oh, uh, court documents and news reports have provided the timeline and the facts in this story, and we'll post links in our show notes and more information on darkpoutine.com. On August 6, 2011, Herschel, Saskatchewan resident Carol Nora King missed her 5 p.m. appointment to meet RCMP Constable Doucette at the Rosetown RCMP detachment. Oh. She was coming in to make a KGB statement about the harassment she'd been suffering at the hands of her still-married ex-boyfriend and former business partner, Joseph David Casey. Casey had been following Carol, driving by slowly and calling at odd hours, and had recently put a lien on her property, as well as other threatening interactions. Hmm, I'm curious about this KGB component. Well, here we go. Yeah. And I knew you were going to ask about well, that. Well, how could I not? The Lakina Afolabi Law Professional Corporation website has the simplest wording that I could find that explains a KGB statement. Okay. And it's specific to Canada. And no, it has nothing to do with Russian intelligence. Well, okay. Well, yeah, I was quite confused. I'm like, oh, you can, you can, dis you can just go. I like to talk about the KGB with no. the RCMP. Quote, a KGB statement is a videotaped statement by a witness that can be played in court as evidence even if the witness recants it, the statement is named after the name of a Supreme Court case that established the principle. Okay. And KGB are the initials of a person. Kevin Green Brown. Four conditions must be met before a KGB statement is played in court. Conditions for KGB statement are, the statement must be made under oath or solemn affirmation or solemn declaration. This means that it must mm. be made with the person promising to tell the truth in a circumstance where lying would be a crime. Okay. The person making the statement needs to be warned very clearly that giving a false statement in the situation would be a lie. The entire statement needs to be on video and the person that the witness is testifying against needs to be given a chance to question the witness in court by cross-examination through his or her lawyer. End quote. The person you're hmm. giving the statement about mm -hmm. will know about it. Mm -hmm. So she was going to make a statement about Casey. He would have known about it and disappeared on that very day. Uh, the, yeah, the day she was to go make said statement. Correct. Which is always highly suspicious. Highly suspicious. After waiting for Carol over an hour, Constable Doucette told Constable Ralphine Williams about Carol's not showing up. Mm-hmm. Constable Williams had dealt with Casey and King just weeks before after Carol found a lock to the Quonset on her property where she parked her car. And a Quonset is like a, a barn kind of thing. Man, so much learning. It's an outbuilding. Today. First couple paragraphs and I'm learning all this stuff. <laughs> the two had been in an ongoing dispute over the distribution of formerly shared assets. Mm. 
Constable Williams gave Brenda King, Carol's sister, a call just after 6 p.m. asking if she had heard from her. Brenda, who was living in Nova Scotia, had not heard from Carol since a 15-minute conversation at around 1 p.m., and the last time anybody heard from Carol that day was around 3.45 p.m. During the conversation that Carol and Brenda had, they'd discussed the upcoming meeting with police. So, you know, Brenda was expecting Mm -hmm. to hear from Carol, and she had not. Yep, and her appointment was at 5? 5. So, if Brenda's living in Nova Scotia, it's 2 hours, so it would have been uh, 7 o'clock her time, Mm -hmm. so... Brenda had recently visited her sister and had witnessed some of Casey's antics firsthand. Oh, okay. He seemed to be everywhere that Carol was and gave her the creeps. Carol and Brenda had chatted about other incidents as well. One night, Casey drove past Carol's home five times in under an hour, and on another occasion during the night, Casey had come on to Carol's property and searched it for over two hours as Carol and Brenda hid inside the house. Controlling much? Exactly. Wow. Holy Christ. Yeah. Uh, with This guy was very upset that Carol was claiming everything was hers. Yeah. And they had been sharing things. This gets a little even messier. Carol was terrified of Casey and Brenda was afraid for her. Missing her family and fed up with the situation with Casey, Carol had been considering a move back home to Newfoundland, where she was from, mm. or to Nova Scotia with Brenda who now wished her sister had come back with her that summer. Mm -hmm. Brenda would later say that Carol had made a decision to actually come home in the fall. Mm. Brenda called and texted Carol multiple times that night, getting no response. At 10 p.m. Saskatchewan time, so midnight Nova Scotia time, Brenda King phoned Constable Williams again. Brenda knew in her gut that something was wrong. Yeah. At 10.38 p.m., Constable Williams and Sergeant Robinson of Rosetown RCMP Detachment drove to Herschel, and it's a small town northwest of Rosetown, about 37 kilometers. Okay. They arrived at Carol King's home to check up on her. The house was locked up tight as well. It and all the other outbuildings on the property were in darkness. During a perimeter check, they noticed nothing suspicious, and there were no signs that the place had been broken into. So nothing to really... Get them overly concerned? No, not yet. Not yet. Peering through a partially open door of Carol's Quonset, the officers saw a fifth-wheel trailer. So, uh, you know what, it's like an RV. Yep. But no sign of Carol's PT Cruiser. That was her personal vehicle. (laughs) The Mounties left at around 11.30 p.m., having found nothing unusual nor any sign of Carol King. Hmm. On August 7th, Carol King was still not answering texts and calls to her cell phone were going directly to voicemail. There was no sign of her anywhere. Constable Williams drove to the Casey residence about a mile from Carol King's home. Casey's wife told Constable Williams that her husband was away working in Olds, Alberta, just over 440 kilometers away. That's a trek. Yeah. I can't imagine what Casey's wife thought of all these goings-on. Yeah. Joseph David Casey and Carol King had been having an affair that I'm not sure if the wife was aware of at the time, but obviously has become aware of it. Okay. The affair began after the two started working together at a steel building company a couple of years earlier. Okay. They were possibly drawn together by their ties to Atlantic Canada, where they were both from, Mm -hmm. uh, despite... 
Casey being married, they spent as much time as they could together, and in 2009, David Casey and Carol King bought that house together in Herschel under Carol's name. Okay, so the property is under her name. Under her name. In 2011, Casey moved his wife and children to another property in Herschel and began splitting his time between the two women. Holy shit. Messy. Wow. Both properties were visible to one another thanks to the flat landscape of Saskatchewan. (sighs) They, although they were a mile away from each other. <laughs> it's true. I've been through yeah. Saskatchewan. It's flat. But how odd it must be to see the home of your husband's now missing mistress from yours. Yeah, no kidding. Right? Yeah. From court documents. Constable Williams telephoned Mr. Casey's cell phone and spoke with him. When asked, he indicated Ms. King was not with him. Mr. Casey said he'd left Saskatchewan on August 2nd, 2011, and had not been back. Hmm. He said the last contact he'd had with Ms. King had been on Friday, August 5th, 2011, around 7.30 p.m. via telephone. On that same date, Constable Doucette attempted to telephone Ms. King, but was unsuccessful. He left several messages. This is, yeah, uh, yeah on the, uh, the day after. Mm-hmm. He also drove to the King residence and found the doors locked in the house, and he didn't inspect the outbuildings. So, curiouser and curiouser, where's Carol King? Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure the officers and everybody have a, a, an instinct as to, you know... Well, they'd had to deal with them before together. Yeah, so they knew there was acrimony in the relationship, so... I, I'm sure that, you know, being their profession and all, mm-hmm. they were concerned. On August 8th, 2011, Carol Nora King was officially listed as a missing person in the RCMP's database. Police began their search for Carol in the most logical spot, her home. Yeah. Constable Williams and other officers entered the fifth wheel trailer and noticed the distinct smell of freshly smoked cigarettes. Oh, okay. Someone had definitely been in there and recently. Interesting. On August 9th, Constable Williams called Casey again. This time he was angry, claiming he felt targeted by the police who were investigating Carol's disappearance. He said he did not know where she was, and he was willing to provide a statement as well as access to his phone and bank records and the contact information for his co-workers who he said could verify he had been in Olds, Alberta, and nowhere near Herschel, Saskatchewan. He was very ready or to provide to justify his accounts. But guess what? Mm. However... His alibi did not hold up. At 11.50 a.m. on August 6, 2011, Joseph David Casey was pulled over by RCMP and ticketed for speeding just east of Hanna, Alberta. Mm -hmm. He was driving 132 kilometers an hour, so he's heading east back towards Saskatchewan. Yeah. That's right. On the same day that Carol King went missing... Casey was headed east and busted for speeding more than 170 kilometers east of Olds. Holy shit. Yeah. So he's not just like driving there. That He's got it floored, man. Yeah. Casey lied to the officer who was pulling him over just hours before Carol King would go missing, telling the cop that the reason he was speeding was that an old girlfriend was throwing out his stuff and he wanted to get there in time to deal with it. He was provided with his speeding ticket and continued heading east towards Saskatchewan. (sighs) Casey didn't mention that ticket in his early interviews. Mm -hmm. 
Early on, he did not mention leaving Olds at all. In subsequent interviews, his story would change. Which is highly suspicious. He claimed he had gone east as far as Trochu, only 42 kilometers from Olds, east of Olds, and he said that he'd eaten Subway and then gone back to his hotel room in Olds, Alberta, where he went to bed at 11 p.m. at the latest. So he, his destination was just 42 kilometers. Yeah, but not even close to Hannah, mm-hmm. which is, you know, <laughs> another 130 kilometers east. Wow, you know? yeah, it's all starting to fall apart. Yeah. On August 10th, a large group of searchers, many who were volunteers, set out to look for Carol King. That very first day, Carol's PT cruiser was found Mm. submerged to the roof, two meters from land in a slough on a nearby farmland. And before you ask, according to Collins Dictionary, a slough in the prairies is a large hole where water collects or the water in such a hole. Picture a slough as a dank and stagnant swamp marsh, bog, or pond. That's how I always thought of them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) According to court documents, an RCMP forensic crime scene recreation specialist said he could, quote, trace the path the PT cruiser had taken from the access roadway to the point where it entered the slough. It had been driven on a route to the edge of the embankment, then did a loop and proceeded further to a different spot. It was then backed up and went straight into the slough. So clearly not. I fell asleep at the wheel, you know, and ended up in said slough. No, this was an intentional. Yeah. And her body is not in there. Mm -mm. There was all kinds of junk and stuff in there that had been floating around because Mm -hmm. the car was full of water. There was a windshield fluid container present inside the car on the driver's side that appeared to Uh have been jammed under the brake pedal and over the gas pedal to hold it down. That would be holdback evidence. So, yep, you know, the key was in the ignition set to the on position and the transmission was in drive. Yeah. So, I mean... To the majority of people out there, it seems pretty clear that somebody wanted this car mm-hmm. uh, hidden. In the slough. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to hide a car, yeah, sloughs are the way to do it. Slough or Everybody pump, yeah. knows that. Put her in the slough. It, at, you know, that old expression. Yeah. <laughs> it's the new one that we just made up. <laughs> it's the old new expression. Put her in the slough. Over the next few days, as searches in other areas continued... RCMP dive team scoured the slough in a grid pattern looking for more evidence and any sign of Carol King. They were hampered by the almost opaque water and scores of other trash that had been tossed into the marsh over the years. They found nothing other than just junk like old farm equipment and things like that. So the slough was drained and the muck was searched as well. Again, nothing. Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, uh, diving in a slough does not sound like the most uh, enjoyable recreation. No, that's your uh, that's your job. I'm I'm slough diver. Yeah, that yeah. sounds like one of our Patreon. Uh, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Another nearby slough was searched too, and it yielded no evidence of what happened to Carol King. Police asked residents of the thirty-person village, <laughs> Herschel. So it was only wow, thirty people that lived there. Lord and surrounding area to keep an eye out for anything unusual. And I'm sure the massive search that was happening in such a tiny town was Mm -hmm. unusual enough. (laughs) Of course, there were whispers. Many knew of the goings-on between Casey and King. 
Carol's family were offering a $25,000 reward for information leading to her whereabouts. Speaking to the Canadian press, Carol King's dad, Carl, expressed that his fear for Carol's safety grew with each passing moment. Mm-hmm. Quote, I'm losing my hope now. It's the 11th day today. You know they found her car and that they didn't find her, he said Wednesday from his home in Mattis Point, Newfoundland. I'm losing hope of finding her alive, end quote. Oh, poor Carl. Yeah. Yeah. That's the most heartbreaking thing is like to listen to a parent talking about their missing child and feel like they're losing hope of them being found alive. Because you don't want that as a parent um, to get to the point where you're losing hope. Yeah. Because you want to always have, be able to have faith that your child is okay. And so if you're at that point, like that's heartbreaking. Brenda King had returned to Saskatchewan to assist in the search for her sister and was around Carol's property. For some reason, this really irked David Casey. Hmm. From court documents, on August 27th, around 1.30 p.m., Mr. Casey called Sergeant Williams to complain Brenda King was moving property out of Ms. King's residence. He inquired as to his rights, and he was told it was a civil matter. Hmm. End quote. He's, so, he's very concerned. Yeah. On the same day, sometime after Casey's petty call to police, a volunteer searcher named Booth made a grisly discovery on an abandoned farmyard six kilometers east of the slough where Carol's PT cruiser was found. It was a human body. And the body he found was very badly decomposed. There was a lot of evidence of animal interference with the body after death as parts were actually missing, especially the soft tissue. Oh, Jesus. The body matched the physical description of Carol King. She was a Caucasian female around 40 years of age, just over 5 feet tall and 124 pounds with highlighted brown hair. A piece of clothing found near the body was soaked in decomposition fluid. So this is, it's August. Yeah. And it's hot. Very hot. The baking sun, coyotes about, all those kind of things. A lot of of areas of Canada are very, very... um, polar in in their seasons and in the summers it can get exceptionally hot and the winters can get exceptionally cold so yeah it, yeah it's not beyond the realm of possibility for it to be up high 30s yeah it took the tried and true method of comparing dental records of a missing person to the teeth of a discovered body to successfully identify the remains as those of carol king mm-hmm Even though Carol's cause of death could not be determined at autopsy due to the advanced state of decomposition, this was, without a doubt, homicide. As the search for evidence continued in the area where Carol's body had been found, about 500 meters away, searchers found the sheath of a knife, but Mm. no sign of the knife itself. It was not clear whether it was related at first. On September 14, 2011, RCMP put out a press release thanking, quote, the media and the public and noted that members of the public should be attuned to notice items that did not belong in their area. In particular, RCMP were still looking for Ms. King's purse and other personal items. Mm -hmm. In the hope to lure Carol's killer, RCMP constructed a monument near the site where her body had been found. From court documents, it contained audio and video recording capability, 
and recorded upon sensing motion. It stayed up for 10 days, but it garnered no evidence of value to the investigation. I really love those kind of tactics. I it, do too. It, it, it was something uh, John Douglas used to talk a lot about in his, mm -hmm. in his books about how uh, it's such a great way to try to lure out because we know, everybody knows how much a lot of uh, criminals go back to the scene or they go to a spot, uh, a memorial, a grave site, wherever they can to either gloat or be, feel sorrow. Yep. Well, the RCMP was up to other things too. Oh, good. Joseph David Casey was a clam though. He denied any knowledge of what happened to Carol King, saying it was their past that led police to suspect him. And he knew that's all they had to go on in the early stages of the investigation. Casey called the police attention harassment. You, you would think uh, he doesn't even seem to... Oh, if he's innocent, you would think he would be quite hurt and saddened yeah. and, and upset by this. He's not coming off at all as not, not very... uh, upset at the passing of his former partner. But yeah. as I learned in last week's episode... Yeah. I'm, I can't, I must yeah, not. You can't jump to a conclusion, jump to can conclusion. you? What Casey was unaware of, though, is that RCMP had secretly installed a tracking device on his truck on August 21st, 2011. It measured speed and GPS coordinates to mm -hmm. determine his routes. Mm -hmm. The tracker was on the truck until October of that year. Court documents oh, wow. tell the story of some interesting travel patterns in the six days before the discovery of Carol King's body before mm. Casey had driven by Carol King's residence numerous times going out of his way to do so often slowing down significantly as he passed oh, odd as well Casey had driven by the body dump site also out of his way days before the body had been found Mm -hmm. the information provided in court documents about the vehicle's movements on August 25th two days before Carol King was found are compelling. Quote, the vehicle was driven past the body site three times in under 30 minutes in the early morning hours. It first left the Casey home at 5.40 a.m., went past the King residence on an indirect route to the body location. It stopped just south of the body location from 6.07 a.m. to 6.09 it was then driven right to the body location and stopped there from 6.10 a.m. to 6.14 a.m. The vehicle was driven north in a loop past the body location for a third time at 6.23 a.m. The vehicle then went to the job site where uh, he was working. Mm -hmm. It returned home, then driven to Kindersley, then back home. It went to Rosetown mid-afternoon while proceeding back to the Casey residence. The vehicle again stopped just south of the body location on Engine Road from 4.12 to 4.23 p.m. Then it returned home overnight, end quote. Two days before the body is found. So, yeah, I'm confused as to either he was scouting the location to put her but I think he's more just checking up she, on it the, with the decomposition yeah the state of decomposition she had there been for a there while. he was doing what John Douglas and those other folks good forensic uh, mind hunters mm -hmm. talk about 
he was visiting his dump site. Yeah, and you know, uh, reliving his crime, reliving it, possibly checking up to make sure. Okay, make sure it hasn't it been found. There? She hasn't been found yet. Mm-hmm. To just okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. On December eighteenth, two thousand eleven, at nine thirty a.m., a fire was reported at Carol King's empty house by a passing motorist. Interesting. The fire was extinguished by fire crews, but not before the main floor received heavy fire and smoke damage. And it appeared to have been arson, and that some kind of liquid accelerant had been used to start the blaze. Well, yeah, an unoccupied home. So we're still, this is December now. This has all happened in August. Still no arrest. Because he's a clam the whole time, he's never owned up to anything. On March 16, 2012, police arrested Casey thinking they had enough information to get him to talk. Okay. They held him and questioned him for 13 hours. Shit. Casey stuck to his guns and continued his denials. From court documents, on this occasion, he was actually unsure just how far east he'd traveled in his quest for recreational vehicles for sale. He said he was unsure as to the time he got back to his hotel on August 6, 2011. He also said he was driving around to think about his relationship with his wife, Wendy. Again, this was never previously mentioned. These are further changes in his story, all occurring within months of August 6, 2011. End quote. In later judgment, Justice Richard Danley wrote of the March 16, 2012 interview and said that, quote, the intensity increased throughout, culminating with a highly aggressive and ultimately inappropriate level of questioning and interaction between the last interviewing officer and Mr. Casey. So one of the cops sort of blew it in the interview. God damn it. And all of his questioning was removed when it came time. Oh, God. Anyway, Casey did not break at that point and had to be set free. It would be years before there was publicly, at least, any further movement on the case. Oh, it's frustrating. And we'll take a break right here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back. What did you think of that so far, Scott? Uh, these ones are, are extremely, extremely challenging because it's pretty clear uh, what has happened mm-hmm. and who has done it. I can't imagine how frustrating it must be for the officers. Yeah, and the family. You know, because it's, to, to I'm sure they, in their head, they're like, we, we know. Yeah. But yet you still can't arrest, you still can't press charges. And that's just got to be, yeah, so frustrating for everybody involved. Almost five years after Carol King's uh. murder, on January 20th, 2016, RCMP began to employ a notoriously controversial technique to get <laughs> Joseph David Casey to confess to Carol Nora King's murder. That's right, a Mr. Big operation codenamed Operation Falbido. Interesting name, Falbido. Yeah. 
By this time, Casey and his wife, Wendy, were living in Rimby, Alberta, where Wendy was working at a local store. Female officers conducting a fake survey in exchange for $10 subway gift cards and entry for a grand prize, which included a trip for two to, an Ed- to Edmonton for a hockey game. Was that a prize? Yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> it took some doing to get Wendy to fill out the form. She really didn't want to at first, so they ended up, uh, one of the women asked to use the bathroom, left her cell phone there, and then they wow. they called back and said, hey, did did you find a phone? And sure enough, somebody had found a phone in the bathroom, and these ladies went back, who are actually undercover yeah. RCMP officers, and, and thanked Wendy and, and got her to fill out the form and... and Gave her a $10 gift card for for Subway. Smart cookies. No kidding. Days later, Wendy was notified that she'd won the grand prize and directed the operatives to deal with her husband, Joseph David Casey, to firm up the particulars. I love this stuff. From court documents, quote, The couple would be picked up at home by a limousine, taken to Edmonton, staying overnight at a casino slash hotel, taken to dinner at a nice steakhouse, attendant... Edmonton Oilers professional hockey game, then the next day transported back home in the limousine. As well as all expenses being covered, the couple was to receive $500 in spending money. The date of the prize package was February 11th and 12th, 2016. Sweet deal, Mikey. Sounds great. Thanks, hon. You won us a a prize. A little bit of cash. There you go. Two other couples... I'm saying quotes for couples, mm-hmm. had won the f- fake grand prize. Unknown to Wendy and David, all four others attending the festivities with them were undercover RCMP operatives. You don't say. I do say. What? One of the operatives, the man who would have the most contact with Casey throughout the operation, claimed his wife couldn't attend, so he'd brought along his, quote, boss. <laughs> These two would be members of the fake crime syndicate, a detail revealed to Casey over time as he came to trust them after being paid to build a fishing shack for them. Hmm. Mr. Mr. Big. Casey first admitted to having bought stolen meat from a friend, and over time, increasingly criminal tasks were given to him for cash by a number of different RCMP officers, who were undercover, obviously. Mm-hmm. Casey just went along seeming to be more interested in making money than whether what he was doing was legal or not. Mm-hmm, Mr. Big. Casey drove in a truck with an operative that contained a stolen ATM, <laughs> and he was set to count the stolen money. He stood watch during criminal meetings, and they worked on him socially as well, making Casey feel that all these new people in yeah. his life were not only business associates, yeah. but, but they were friends too, and even went golfing with undercover operators. Apparently he loved golf. Huh. All the while, Casey was made to feel as though he was working his way to the center of the organization, closer to the big money. As questionable as these tactics are, they're damn fascinating. It is interesting, yeah. right? And you wonder if you would actually fall for it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like, you know, I, I instantly want to say no, because if somebody's like, you want to commit a uh, illegal act, I want, but they're very smart in how they go. They're not going to yeah. introduce you right away to just like, here, go. And uh, they got him to admit that he'd done some criminal things and buying yep. stolen meat before. Yeah. Yep. 
So and they, they were more comfortable with approaching him with that and, after. And these the Mr. Bigstings go on for a long time. Well, this one goes on uh, from uh, January to July. Yeah. So there you go. So which gives you a false sense of comfort. Yep. In April, the main operator took Casey to Saskatchewan, hauling prop firearms across the border between uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan. The route they took was the exact same one police believed Casey had taken on the day Carol King was murdered. <laughs> As they drove, the men chatted, and the operator said that he had done a, quote, background check on Casey and found he was a suspect in the murder of Carol King. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The operator said it would be good for Casey if he was willing to, quote, take care of business. Casey's responses at the time did not confirm or deny anyone's suspicions. Okay. So take care of business. Obviously, they're implying if he's willing to kill. Yeah, is a good thing for this criminal organization. Yeah. During another scenario in May 2016, which started in a Banff hotel and ended up in a Calgary strip club, Casey finally admitted he had committed Carol King's murder. He was asked, was it you? Mr. Casey winked and said, yeah. The two men then bumped fists in celebration. I love Banff. I'm just going to put that out there. I know, that's not, I know that's not the key part of that sentence no. or that paragraph, but yeah, I, part, I'm knowing that they fist bumped, you're repulsed by it, but in the same vein, you're recognizing what the... The, the cops are in character. Sure. The cops are in character, yeah. but he's not. No, he's, he's a soulless bastard. Yeah. Casey also wanted more money for what he was doing, explaining he felt he was worth more than the small amounts he was currently being paid by the, quote, criminals. Yeah. He wanted a salary. Ballsy to, you know, demand a raise by this criminal underworld. Right. On May 18, 2016, on a drive with the same operative, Casey said he wanted to do more in the organization. He wanted to speak to the boss directly, the man he'd met on the all-expenses-paid hockey game trip. Casey said that, quote, he had nothing to hide from the boss and that he trusted people for the first time in his life. He said he could kill people or hide bodies. It would not matter to him, end quote. Jeez, he's really going in deep. Right? Like, is it like, wow. In a Kelowna, B.C. hotel on June 8th and 9th, 2016, Joseph David Casey told operatives, posing as high-ranking members of the criminal syndicate and Mr. Big himself, that he, quote, was making a conscious decision between being in the gang and taking a full-time job and was interested in the gang. He noted that his family was his priority. Yeah. End quote. Current family. It was there that Casey also made his first detailed admission of the murder of Carol King. Okay. He, quote, described to an undercover operator how he had been outside his girlfriend's house, hiding in the bush, stalking her. When she exited a building, he grabbed her and tied her up. He threw her in the PT cruiser. He drove to an abandoned farm, got out, and strangled her. He got rid of the body, he drove to another location, changed clothes, and burned the clothing he had been wearing during the killing. Mm -hmm. He then drove the PT Cruiser to another location where there was a slough. He drove the vehicle toward the slough, jumping out as it went in. Wow. He then said, there was no DNA evidence left in the vehicle. 
He said that when he strangled his girlfriend, he did not put her back in the vehicle. He also had wiped it down. He had also wiped down the vehicle and believed immersion in the slough would eliminate evidence as water gets rid of DNA in his mind. So he put, yeah, this isn't just a crime of passion. No, this is a plan. Yeah, premeditated. On June 15th, 2016, during another meeting, Casey confessed to the undercover operators again. This time he said he'd stabbed Carol. Oh. But he had lied first about the way he'd killed her as he thought that's what the other operative wanted to hear. He claimed he'd tossed the knife away in a nearby field. Hmm. Which fits with the sheath. That the sheath, found. yeah. Finally, after a few more conversations and a bit of reenactment in Herschel, Saskatchewan to tie up some, quote, loose ends, the RCMP was ready to make their move and arrested Joseph David Casey in mid-July of 2016. Good. He was charged with the first-degree murder of Carol King and offering an indignity to human remains for dumping her, as he did, mm -hmm. in the hot summer sun. Yep. From January 20th until July 19th, 2016, RCMP operatives ran a total of 49 scenarios wheedling their way into Casey's life, gaining his trust, luring him into their fake criminal organization, and getting him to admit on five different occasions to killing Carol King in 2011. Mm -hmm. Casey, of course, pled not guilty. Of course. As they typically do. Yeah. In Saskatoon, at a subsequent voir dire hearing in 2018, despite the protests of Casey's defense team, the Mr. Big evidence was allowed and would be presented at trial. Okay. Well, that's great. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. The mountain of evidence against Casey was massive. The defense team countered timeline evidence, claiming it was impossible for Casey to travel the 440 kilometers back and forth between Olds, Alberta and Herschel, Saskatchewan. But considering the rate of speed <laughs> yeah, that he yeah. had been traveling when he'd been busted by the police, it was entirely possible, argued the prosecution. Absolutely. The lone witness for the defense was one woman who claimed she'd seen Casey at his Olds, Alberta hotel when he was supposed to be in Herschel killing Carol King. The witness did not have the impact that the defense had hoped. Here's a global TV news report filed by Megan Craig during the trial. On Tuesday, court heard from a clerk who worked at a motel in Olds, Alberta in 2011. The witness testified to seeing Casey on August 6, 2011, sometime between 5 and 7, then again at 9.45 that night, making it impossible for Casey to have killed King, dumped her body, destroy evidence, and drive more than three hours to the motel, arriving around supper time, suggests the defense. During cross-examination, glaring inconsistencies were put to the witness by the Crown. She forgot how many times she had talked to police and when. And she never mentioned seeing Casey on the 6th to officers, but rather 9.45 on August 11th. When asked if she could say anything with any sort of certainty, the witness said it was August 6th when she saw Casey because she worked Saturdays. Then she admitted it could have been a completely different Saturday altogether. Closing arguments in this case are now scheduled for Thursday. Megan Craig, Global News. 
So, Scott, what do you think of that uh, oh, witness hate, for the defense? I, I hate to laugh at it when murder is involved, but for your witness to start off with, it was this day, and then like minutes later be like, yeah, actually, I don't know, maybe it was. It was maybe it was another day. It could have been like, like weeks later. Well, you know, if that's, if that's the most solid defense witness that you can come up with, and the only one. Can you, can you say credibly and, and uh, uh, assertively that without that, a doubt without a doubt that that was the day no no <laughs> all right we rest our case <laughs> that's it no closing arguments were heard on october 25th 2018 the prosecution said that the evidence against casey was too substantial to warrant any doubt mm -hmm. kevin hill casey's defense attorney said that casey falsely confessed because he wanted to work in this fictitious gang arguing the information he gave was unreliable because the stories changed and didn't match the physical evidence. Okay. Yep. Sure. Sure. The verdict was heard on January 4th, 2019, so just over a year ago. Mm -hmm. Justice Danilio noted that he felt the information obtained by the Mr. Big Sting was reliable, and he had found the 55-year-old Joseph David Casey guilty of the first-degree murder sentencing him to life without the possibility of parole for 25 years. Casey was also found guilty of offering an indignity to human remains for which he was sentenced to a five-year sentence running concurrently mm -hmm. to the murder sentence. So unless Casey gets his faint hope release after 15 years, he'll be at least 80 before he's eligible to apply for parole. I'm still too young in my opinion. From Saskatoon Star Phoenix on January 5th, 2019, quote, appearing via video link to read her victim impact statement, Brenda King said everyone loved Carol and, quote, many lives had been ruined by her senseless murder. Yeah. Reading her parents' statement, Brenda said her mother and father missed Carol saying, I love you. Ugh. End quote. My heart. Yeah. Casey maintains his innocence and has appealed the judge's decision. Well, of course, like that, they all do. Yeah. They all do. Very rarely do you hear like, all right, you got me. Okay, fine. I tried, but- Well, even you... Jeffrey Dahmer said, okay, you got me. Well, that's why I said rarely. <laughs> right. <laughs> rarely. BTK. Yes. Yes. Okay, there's two. The Green River Killer. Three. We've got three. <laughs> Those are some biggies. They're, they're biggies, but the serial killers typically yeah. want- We're not saying that this guy is a serial killer. No, no. Although I read in the notes that he did tell them- uh, the RCMP undercover operators that he had killed before. Oh. But who knows if he was just embellishing or, mm -hmm. you know. Mm. Yeah. Mr. Big strikes again. Mr. Big strikes again. And I spoke to Alan Warren a little bit about uh, Mr. Big today because Alan's written a book about false confessions mm -hmm. around Mr. Big. And uh, we just had a little bit of a conversation about it. And he said the problem with uh, Mr. Big is, sure, maybe these these people did do it, but it's that whole getting somebody to, to do something or admit to something that maybe they didn't do just because they are lured by the, the idea of the money. Yeah. I mean, in this case, there was hundreds of thousands of dollars this guy was seeing. Yeah. 
And so he thought, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in it to win it. Kind oh, of thing. Mr. Big is incredibly controversial and mm. rightly so. Yeah. If for those exact reasons, uh, mentioned, yeah. um, where I can have some comfort in it is when they can get the suspect mm -hmm. to provide information that could only be known. Yeah by the perpetrator. So that's when you can have confidence that, okay, we're getting something genuine. Yeah. But just admission. Yeah, I did it. In this case, he didn't never admit to knowing anything about the uh, windshield wiper fluid ca uh, can. Mm -hmm. And they actually questioned him about that when they were talking to him and he was like, no. So that could have been just junk that was floating around in the car and, and just got, got, wedged got in jammed yeah. in there. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, the... Mr. Big has its ch its challenges, yeah, for sure. And so, uh, I, well, I, I a lawyer that I that emailed me recently about this said he believes that all the Mr. Big thing is going to be illegal, and these things are going to be repealed. So, uh, I, yeah, I can, I can, I can see it, or I can see that being. Uh, Hopefully, I could see it not becoming a lot of bad guys get out on the streets because of this. I can see it being a technique that is no longer allowed, and I can see a lot mm. of uh, people challenging, yeah, that in the courts. Um, yeah, it's it's a really, really, really. Anytime I hear something, or I hear about a case, and it's like, and it mentions Mr. Big. Yeah. I instantly go like, oh boy. Oh boy is oh right. Oh boy. Yeah. Just because of how confident can you you be after right you know which is usually not very <laughs> no it's true all right it's time to lighten things up a little bit here oh great yeah let's listen to a couple voicemails left by listeners on our toll on our toll free voicemail one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. let's listen to this one Hey, Mike and Scott, um, I'm calling because I just wanted to say thank you for everything you've done in your show and in the Amber Yard. Um, this is Brittany Simpson from Hamilton, Ontario, and early on in the Amber Yard's existence, I shared a story that was very hard for me to share, and it was met with so much support and love. Um, Last year, I actually had a PTSD breakdown and ended up having to cut out all true crime podcasts because they were very triggering to me. And yours is the only one that I've been able to come back and listen to because your added humor and your compassion for the victims is the only thing that I can handle. So I just want to say thank you. I appreciate you. I'm glad to somewhat online know you and I can't wait to meet you in person one day. Bye. Oh, Brit wow. Thanks, Brittany. That's awesome. Brittany is awesome. She's a very uh, frequent poster. Yep. She's uh, very had, active in the Umbriard. Yeah, she's had great interactions with people. Mm -hmm. uh, she's just, yeah, she's a gem. She's a gem. And so that really, really means a lot. Thank you, Brittany. That's very kind of you. Very cool. You never know what you're going to get. It's it's kind of a mixed bag. I need to start listening to these to vet some, though. <laughs> one of them is, we know at some point, one's just going to be. It's going to be a gong show. Oh, yeah. So here's another one I haven't listened to, so let's, let's, uh, let's get into that. Hey, Mike and Scott, this is the elusive Game Strive from Cleveland, Ohio. I just wanted to say I absolutely love your show. I will actually uh, keep off and not 
listen to your show for a few weeks just so I can listen to a bunch of episodes in a row on my way to work. I am a professional cheese specialist, so if you ever want any cheese sent your way, just let me know. As for away games, I highly recommend you do the Cleveland Torso Murders. Definitely unsolved, but really, really interesting. Keep up the good work. Love you guys, and I look forward to the next episode. Bye. I want cheese. I want cheese. cheese. And uh, we, we do have a lot of away games to get to because we do so few of them. And I have so many cases that I would love to talk about. And the only way we can talk about anything that's outside of Canada and doesn't involve Canadians is by an away game. Yeah. So this definitely is something that we'll add to the list. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank and, uh, you. And send us some cheese. All of it. Uh, there we go. All right. Well, that was good. <laughs> yeah. That was good. So if you want to get in contact with us, if you want to send us an email, you can do so at one 327 5786 or 1-877-D-A-R-K-P-T-N. That's Dark Dark Putin. And, you know, you'll hear every week at least one or two voicemails. So. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do leave us a venomous one, it's not going to get played. Well, so. it depends on if, well, it, yeah, if it's that's funny. True. That's true. If we find, if you're being crappy to us and we find it funny, we're going to make fun. Yeah. Of just true. so you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Not that we're encouraging that. <laughs> we're not encouraging that. We've had that French gentleman call us up ranting insanely. Uh, thankfully, I didn't understand anything he was saying. Well, I, I understood it a bit and we had our friend Kevin yes. uh, give us uh, <laughs> the translation. The lowdown. Hello, wackadoo. <laughs> That was really wacky. It was. So let's get to our uh, our Patreon shout-outs. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's that time, is it? Yes, it definitely is. Oh, great. It definitely is. We have Cynthia Rachel. It looks like Rachel with an O. Oh, okay. And I don't know where she's from. You don't know where she's from? No. Oh. Oh, are you wanting me to-, to uh, That's uh, your to... job. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, Rachel is no Cynthia. Cynthia Rachel. <laughs> yes, I went. Uh, yeah, I called her by her last name. That's okay, how, we because we are on that level. I gotcha. Yeah, we're on that level. Mm -hmm. uh, lives in the Ozarks. Okay, yeah, with Jason Bateman. That's a TV show. Well, it's Mike, a good TV. A, I like that. No, TV it's a great show. show. I love Jason Bateman, but it's not real. So no, oh. she doesn't live there. Oh, him? What? She doesn't. And uh, her trait. Hmm. is she's a rock cleaner. What? Yeah. People don't know that, but beaches. Yes. Uh, all the rocks you see, mm -hmm. it's somebody's job to come clean them every night. Okay. Yeah. She is soon, she's a, she just applied for a promotion, so hopefully she will become a rock polisher. No. Yep. That's that's uh, what most rock cleaners uh, strive for. Okay. And she's on the cusp of it, so yeah, proud of her. There you go. That that was weird. It's not all jobs are uh, uh, the same, Mike. Next up, we have a pledge from Jasmine Grondon, and she is from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Hey, wow. Yeah, so there we're talking are. about Saskatchewan, yeah. so. <laughs> Your homeland. Your homeland. Lots of people have said we don't talk about Saskatchewan enough, so we Which are. Which ultimately is a compliment. 
Yeah. Because, you know, it means there's not so much murder. Although Lloyd Minister, Saskatchewan, I think, was determined the least safe place in Canada. Well, I mean, you know, that could be if you get beat up a lot. Yeah. Not necessarily Yeah, we don't murder. talk about, it's not dark poutine, get beat up. Yeah. Talk. Yeah, assault poutine. And we have another Jasmine. Whoa. Jasmine Moffat. And she's from Stonewall, Manitoba, another place we don't talk well, about a lot. There's an affluence of jasmine in this show. Exactly. <laughs> Alyssa Robinson from oh. Osgood, Ontario. Well, thank you, Alyssa. Thank, thank you, you very so much. much. From Osgood. And Caitlin Morgan from Harrisonburg, Virginia. Didn't we have somebody from Harrisonburg very recently? Oh, I don't know. Yes, we did. You, you want me to remember past an hour ago? Well, no, I, I, I thought Jesus, I'd give Mike. it a shot, but uh, I knew, Mike. I knew it wouldn't happen. You knew the answer when you asked me. That, uh, you would forget? That I don't remember. That Scott does not remember. Yeah. You're like the goldfish swimming around in the... Yeah, yeah. And you're surprised by every time yeah. you see the castle. Which is joyous. It's, you're constantly surprised. That's a good thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a lo it's a lovely thing. <laughs> there you go. Oh, Marinda Differ. Oh, I, she, I beg she, to. She sent us some donut money and she says, hey mates, because she's Australian. Clearly. Have some more donut money. You can never have enough donuts ever. Man, I could ever, man, I could use a donut. <laughs> <laughs> but she probably said it. Hey mates, have some more donut money. You can never have enough donuts ever. Man, man I could donuts. use a donut. Yeah. She she speaks our language. She does the language, and we donut. don't. We barely speak hers, so <laughs> we mock her. <laughs> yeah, it's sad. It is. And here here's one from Irene Briand, and she said, "Happy New Year!" with a little party horn and stuff like that. So thank you so much. Thank you. There you go. Yeah. People are so kind. They seriously are. It was, uh, there weren't as many shout outs this week, I think, because people are paying all their bills down oh in January. Yeah. It's like January is always a little light. Ghost town. <laughs> yeah. Financially for everybody. It's fine. And Tumbleweeds we know, going through my bank. Exactly. And we know people are supportive of the show. Don't, don't feel badly for yeah. us because mm -hmm. we don't feel badly. No. Not really. Well, a little bit. Well, I mean, about life in general, sure. Okay, sure. But I mean... Yup. That's the way it goes. It is. Thanks so much to our patrons, past and present, for your pledges. We really appreciate your support of the show. And if you want to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. Or for one-time support, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't already, it mean a lot to us. If you subscribe to the show, you can f easily find us on iTunes, podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. And darkpatine.com has show notes and other cool stuff. Give yeah. us a like or follow yeah. on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly, tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. It's the most powerful. It's the bomb. It's the powerfulest. Until next week. Don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Guten Tag, peoples. Mm, a little German on them. I'm a little... <laughs>